Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research. I'm Jeff Wagner. My co-host is my friend and fellow researcher, Hunter Ginn. Hello. Radical Research is a conversation about the inner and outer reaches of rock and metal music. We partake in regular adventures with exceptional music, stuff that's just not household name level, but in the Ginn and Wagner household, total legends. We believe a few like-minded folks will find something here they've never encountered out there in podcast land. We absolutely welcome any and all feedback. You can write to us at radicalresearchpodcast at gmail.com. Please also give us a rating on iTunes if that's how you're accessing us. And please visit our Facebook page. Simply search Radical Research and there we will be. So thank you for listening and let's get to it. So Hunter, before we uh, get into the second episode, what have you been listening to lately? Um, I have, I've been listening to a lot of Meshuggah. Um, I took, I suppose, a 12, maybe maybe even longer year break from Meshuggah. Um, became sort of disenchanted after um, nothing. Uh, went back to that record in 2014 and found out how much I liked it. And then took another break into 2016 when I got back into Obzin. Mm. And now am uh, completely infatuated all over again. So that was the one Obzin brought you back. Obzin totally brought me back. I guess you know, um, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, and I, I know that um, our paths have diverged there, um, but but it, it's it's been delightful and surprising for me to rediscover that band, um, and it's 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 been inspiring lately. Great. Well, m- much respect then. You know, um, I suppose the last album I listened to with great intent was uh yes tales from topographic oceans so that that's uh it's a completely beat. underrated um maligned for no good reason and i absolutely adore it and and in fact i was with you when i picked up my vinyl copy yes i mean i think it's maligned because it's just it takes a lot of work <laughs> uh, you know it, it's a it's long it, you know four 20 minute songs and there's so much going on so much to digest and it's net you know there's there's nobody that ever listened to that album for the first time was like i get it (laughs) no you know like so yeah love all those hooks yeah well i I mean but you know that they're there and the the second song remembering for instance like it kind of starts off sort of slow and it doesn't you're like where is this going and it's drifting and i'm not sure you even like it and then like by minute 17 you're like oh this is blowing my mind yeah, and it's like it is a study in synth textures. If you have any interest in the analog synthesizer, then you should own that record. And you know, yeah, and it's and of course it's Wakeman's last hurrah with him until he came exactly a few years later. And uh, I've read some things at the time where he wasn't super into that album. He was, no, and in fact, I think that's the reason that he left the band. You know, he he's all over the place, and he sounds he sounds terrific on it. He does. He does. He sounds super inspired. So if, if he was not into it during at the time, it, it certainly doesn't show. Um, also, and don't mean to take us off track, but I've uh, been listening to the first four Morbid Angel records pretty obsessively. <laughs> does, now, now does, does your first four include uh, the, the real first one? Okay, okay, no. So the second first four. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, lo- I love Abominations. I like, do too. Yeah, okay. yeah. Very good. I guess I'll counter that with saying I'm listening to a lot of Melvin's. And that's just right. I, I love that we're yeah yeah we're 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 mostly in M's right now. <laughs> we, we really are. So the second episode of Radical Research, uh, which we're going to get down to brass tacks and focus here a little bit, uh, is dedicated to the nuttier excursions of one Don's Swanya, uh, Don Swanya, who I suppose Americans know better and pronounce as Dan Swano or Don Swano. Uh, in the interest of keeping it real but not alienating anyone, we'll re- just refer to him in the Americanized vernacular. Swano. Fair enough? Fair, accepted. Or De Desire? Desire? Yeah, sure, we'll do that too. Uh, Swano has been either a leader of or an important part of nearly 30 bands, most of which we won't really even touch on here. Uh, Easily one of the most distinguished and respected figures in Sweden's high population of metal bands and musicians. So, Hunter, um, before we get into his career and sort of the, the more left field stuff that he has done, the day you and I first met in person was the day I also met and you met Swano in person. Is that, is that, that right? That is correct. In that October 2001. Yeah. And in the run up to sort of planning this particular episode, I hadn't even thought of that until sort of just now. Um, I hadn't thought of that until you just mentioned it. He was there to play with Nightingale, correct? Yes. 
Yeah, and that was we were there. I think it's probably fair to say. Spiral Architect. <laughs> yeah, very good. It's spiral Architect only. Right. So, <laughs> so there were a lot of great convergences there. I had had some some things to do with Swano before that, which we can get into, and not to toot my own horn, but just more. I think it in context, like he and I had some important little um, intersections before that. So um, it was really cool to meet him. And gosh, you know, I mean, like he's kind of been. I don't want to, I don't want to put too fine of a point on it, but he's been kind of a bit of a godlike figure to me since I've been, uh, you know, since the nineties metal thing where, Oh, I mean, at one point in the nineties, I mean, he was nearly mythological to me because he was making music that I loved and he was also producing bands that I loved. Sure. Yeah. He was all over the place. I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so this guy was born in 1973 and by 1988, and if you do the easy math there, he was 15. He had formed this neo prog band called unicorn. Um, who later went on to release a couple albums in the mid-90s. And I don't know if you – did you ever lend an ear to Unicorn? Lend an ear, but that's about it. Yeah, well, I mean, neither – you and I, as, as into prog rock as we are, really not the biggest neo-prog fans. And no. he, he, of course, has a serious Marillion Jones. And a serious Richard Marks Jones. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and, you know, I've seen <laughs> – I saw Richard Marks live last year, but that's, that's completely beside the point. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so he's into that, you know, and, and Unicorn had a sound that was kind of comparable to that and like Jadis and Twelfth Night, uh, um, you know, the, the neo-prog stuff. So, right. so there you have it. That's what he was doing at 15. And of course, he was a, a serious metal fan as well. Um, and, I, and I think just before we get into the metal stuff, you know, I think, Unicorn, I think Nightingale kind of was the next step for him in terms of like where he where he kind of took the unicorn thing because they kind of began it as this goth rock project and became more of an AOR-ish kind of neo-prog venture. Right. Um, anything there to say? Did, did, did we, were you ever interested in Nightingale? We, we were not. Yeah. Um, in fact, it's amazing how, for someone I respect so highly, how little of his entire discography I really love. <laughs> right. But having said that, the stuff I love, I love uh, madly. Yeah. Well, that's, and that gets us wonderfully into edge of sanity. Um, he was 16 when that formed. What were you doing at age 16? I mean, I, I know you were doing some great things, but I, trying to make out with girls um, <laughs> and, and, you know, get through uh, trigonometry or something. I, I, I certainly, I, I wasn't redefining the face of death metal. Yeah. I, I wasn't forming edge of sanity. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so just to start with them real quick. I mean, the first album, is it fair to call, um that one generic it's a death it's a swedish death metal record yeah i mean it's it's kind of rotten by the numbers um but then it very quickly on on unorthodox um things go down a different path absolutely it's a shape of things to come um but I, I, what's interesting to note i think and I, I hope i'm not getting us off course is he was already going farther left field with pantheimonium at that time. At that time. Yes. Yes. We'll we'll get to PTM because that's like the, the the huge. That's the right. the wonderful fucked up elephant in the room here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess if you look at nothing but death remains, we'll call that just a straightforward death metal album. Really, sure. nothing remarkable. I think it's a decent listen, but you're not left with anything. Um, you know, you're not you're not just your head isn't blown off at the end of it. Um, right. But with unorthodox, we have you're probably. I think one of the things you have to talk about is Enigma that opens the record. And, you know, really that was the one that really stretched the death metal form beyond its kind of self-imposed limitations in a sure. way. I, I think that kind of death's human album kind of did that, but I think this was one of the first things to really go, Oh, you know, wow. To show that there was this kind of limitless area out there and you could apply a, a number of different sort of odd, maybe even idiosyncratic you know, influences to death metal. Absolutely. Anything else in that album that stands out or is Enigma kind of the, the peak? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. Enigma sort of, um, Enigma is one of those things that it, it's one of those cases where you open on your strongest foot. Um, I mean, the album's full of great moments, but yeah, it, yes. yeah, it's yeah. And then, then that brings us to the Spectral Sorrows, uh, the third album. The, the two things I always think about that album are, are, are the, the two sort of things that kind of spike out as being uncharacteristic of, of even Edge of Sanity at that point, which is uh, Sacrificed, oh. total kind of Sisters of Mercy sure. type of song. 
And, yeah, and, and and that's a path that they would obviously, you know, continue down on um, Purgatory Afterglow. Black Tears. Yeah, Black, Black Tears, yeah. And then on the completely opposite spectrum on Spectral Sorrows, we had a, a Manowar cover, Blood of My Enemies, which was <laughs> yes. this great, you know. And, and like you talk about a, con- I mean, Swanos know Eric Adams, but you, but it's almost like Eric Adams filtered through Corthon. Yeah. You know, it's a, and it, it just, whatever it lacks in, in technical execution, it makes up for in passion. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would completely agree with that. Um, the rest of that, album that i think is 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 decent um it's got a great dan seagrave cover one, one of my favorites yeah well, um <laughs> how, do, how do you choose man it's yeah, like yeah. choosing choosing children do you have a favorite dan seagrave cover oh like if you, have, um, you can walk away with one like one original wow. on your wall wow um yeah that's Clende- clandestine yeah that's that's pretty good I don't know, man. There, there are too many. Yeah, I'm actually um, uh, really fond of uh, "For Never Laid to Rest" too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a it's a cool image. It, it is a very cool. I, 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 but again, man, that's like an impossible question. I always think of Gorgots, the erosion of sanity. Just oh, uh, yeah, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, cool. just you know, surreal as hell. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, all his stuff was to some degree or another. But I think Spectral Sorrows is, is way up there. It, uh, yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's it's beautiful. Anyway, so so Swano and Edge of Sanity, and it's worth noting that Edge of Sanity was comprised of guys who you know they they were had a pretty solid lineup there for about four or five albums. Sure. Um, not a common trade in metal at all of, of any type. So they had a really strong kind of like not only the sort of kinship with each other, but I think that the evolution kind of happened with all these guys. Benny Larson will figure into our conversation later, but he, he was of course the drummer in edge of sanity. And I think a bit underrated. Uh, I think the guy's pretty creative. Um, oh, he is. No, he definitely had his own voice, but together they went on and they did this um, until eternity ends EP. And I think that one's most remarkable for the uh, cover of police's invisible sun. <laughs> I agree. And here again, we're getting, you know, we're now, now we're getting police covers by a band who just did a man of war cover. <laughs> You know, really, we're just a, you know, kind of this left field Swedish death metal band. So right. already really kind of showing a really creative and interesting stripe. Uh, Whose main songwriter uh, formed a neo-prog band when he was 16. <laughs> let's, let's not Sorry. forget. Let's, yeah. Right. Let's, yeah. You got to go back to Unicorn often. <laughs> um, so after that EP, we get Purgatory Afterglow. Yes. Which is a completely fully formed death metal masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, it starts with Twilight, which is sort of the uh, the enigma of that album. Yeah, this big sort of sprawling uh, tune that incorporates you know Swano's really great, rich melodic uh, singing voice. And let's talk about that voice for a second. Uh, I mean, it's kind of the archetype for the European used to do growls and now sing singing voice. I mean, my, you know, I mean, seriously, like you think about the first two Opeth records, yeah. like Michael Lockerfeld clearly was patterning himself after Swano. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and it's one of those voices kind of like Kevin Moore where you don't have a great deal of range, but you do a great deal with what you have. Um, the other thing I would say about uh, Purgatory. I like the Kevin Moore reference, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm always happy to oblige. <laughs> um, the other thing about Purgatory Afterglow is it's Swana really, really refining its songwriting yes. and, and coming into his own. Yes. Um, because I, the other albums, there's all sorts of interesting things on them, but they're all a little inconsistent. Um, and Purgatory Afterglow is pretty much uniformly great. Yeah, I'd agree um, with that. I mean, uh, and I think it's I think it's a little, it's Spectral Sorrows with a better running order. I think Spectral Sorrows wasn't like really sequenced that well. Right. I, I think right. that one totally is. Black Tears sits right in the middle. Uh, again, a m- more of a goth song, but not as not as like obvious of a Sisters of Mercy rip. Right. Yeah. No, and it it does. It fits exactly into the flow of the record. And I think the production is a little more interesting too. And I mean, I think that's. Um, sort of a symptom of him working with more bands. I love the contrast in the guitar tones, and you yes. get that in in Twilight particularly um, when it comes out of that uh, sort of um, ethereal um, dream sequence, and yeah. you get the two guitar tones contrasted and then together. 
um, I think his attention to detail um, was more developed at that point. Let's take a listen to that part. I'm just going to play a little snippet. So yep. this is from Twilight from uh, Edge of Sanity's Purgatory Afterglow, 1994. Must have stopped breathing. The image of you fade. And now I know why I have a strong feeling that I must find this place you once described. And to see your final dance. <laughs> so purgatory afterglow ends with um an interesting song song of sirens yes uh it, it's too easy to call it you know an industrial metal song but it certainly has this it kind of is mechanical industrial yes. edge um something yeah. I, I don't recall them having played with before but it works well, really well as an ending song and and i'm gonna throw this out there um there is a song on uh uncanny splenium to for nyctophobia, which Swano produced, that sounds remarkably like that. And I'm not exactly sure who stole it from who. That's a, that's a good call. But, you know, the Uncanny song has uh, so much Godflesh in it that it, I, yeah, think, yeah, yeah. I think they just stole it from Godflesh. Whereas, <laughs> Maybe. Whereas Song of Sirens is just kind of them, you know, taking on certain influences yeah. and, and making it work as Edge of, Edge of Sanity. That's my take on it. As, right. as as far as what, which, you know, which came first, chicken or the egg, you know, sure. up for debate um, amongst seven people out there. So, uh. <laughs> seven people are talking about uncanny and edge of sanity. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so there's, that's purgatory afterglow in a nutshell. Sure. And I think, you know, I don't want to race through their discography because a lot of this stuff is great. I think unorthodox is something that gets better and better for me over the years. Um, but it really peaks with crimson. Sure. You know, Up to that point, probably the most fully realized single song in metal, at least. Sure. Um, I, it, I mean, there were a few. There was that Belgian band Renaissance that did the Death of Art, which I always found quite it's interesting. interesting. Quite interesting. Sure. Yep. Uh, Face Warnings, Pleasant Shade of Grey, which I think you and I have some hesitations with, but also like to some degree. We like and respect it, but it's, yeah, we're both a little cold on it. Sure. You, you wish it was a just a twenty-minute song with maybe four or five, you know, shorter, right? Kind of a no exit model. So yeah, so Edge <laughs> of Sanity Crimson comes out. It's forty minutes exactly. Um, it's the same lineup. Uh, it, it features quite heavily Michael from Op uh, from Opeth. Sure. On some some pretty outrageous kind of like screeching. Oh yeah, black metal. Vocals. Yeah, just and it just somehow works. It's so listenable. Uh, as, as, as a, uh, as a long, it, 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 long song. It's 40 minutes long. It just feels like a song. Um, almost to the point where you don't think about the time anymore. Yeah. You know? And I really, some of my favorite um, Swano clean vocals too. I think he just sure. starts really nailing it. And um, it's a lot of fun to listen to. And that's. Uh, yeah. He's, it's almost, it almost has a, a soulful dimension to it. Yes. Yes. Um, again, love, love Michael's, uh, cameos on here because I think they really help make make the album give give it even more depth. Uh, and it, I'll I'll do credit to all the players on the album as well. Like the guitar work is is excellent, the production is excellent. Benny Larson is once again really really pretty great. Yeah, and that's really kind of the peak and certainly the the most progressive and creative peak for Edge of Sanity. I think after that, you know, they had that Infernal album that to me. I yeah no no I, 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 down. I pretty much part ways with Edge of Sanity after Crimson. I parted ways with that album. Shortly yeah. after I, I got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, tried, tried and tried, but yeah, same here. No dice. It, it seems like this kind of all led to Dan's uh, Swano's um, solo album, mm -hmm. which came out what the year after Crimson. No, I think it came out in 98. Yeah. I mean, so, but you know, it was kind of, yeah. in, in a sense, kind of the follow-up, the sure. follow-up. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Moon Tower? Love it. I also love the fact that he can use the exact same synth sound in every song, <laughs> and it, it's always great. 
Um, I, I do. I think it's sort of an extension of that. And I mean, getting back to his songwriting, um, I think it's a great example of what a developed songwriter he had become at that point. Yeah. Um, it, it's, you know, it's the, the vocals are mostly death metal. It's not a death metal record. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, it kind of escapes any kind of easy taxonomy. It's, it's all kind of mid-paced. I mean, really, you could kind of call it like a, you know, a prog record with extreme vocals. Which is kind of how I look at some of those later Opeth records, like in the Watershed or Ghost Reveries era. Sure. Sort of, they were really prog rock albums that had a heavy death metal influence. Right, right, right. I, the, the thing with Moon Tower for me, especially in later years, I was completely blown away by it when it came out. But I think in later years, I, if I go into it wanting a, any kind of death metal experience from it, I, I'm disappointed. Sure. But if, I, if I go into it wanting a ton of those warm keyboards, that great keyboard sound you mentioned, um, some really great clean vocals from him, and maybe not his best harsh vocals, but they're decent, you know, like, and if I'm ready for mid pace, then I, I freaking love it, you know? Yeah. Um, it's an album that's like vexed me because I, I, I like it at certain listens and then other listens. It's, it's, I think it's just, so well, I think it's very much it's, a mood thing, maybe. It will, it's sort of plagued by its own uniformity. Yeah. Uh, and, and if, exactly, that's, that's a great point. It's a mood thing. If you're in the mood for that, great. And if you're not, it's just too much of one good thing. Right. Right. It's a kind of record that sometimes two or three songs is all you need. Right. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, and it's, I think it's fair to say there's moments on there that I, I think they're kind of subtle, but they always, they always remind me of Rush in, in this sort of early 80s era. I, yeah, that, that it's probably deliberate. You can tell, yeah, you can tell he's influenced. I know he's on record saying so, uh, and I know he likes a lot of that 80s uh, Rush stuff. So, so that's kind of an interesting little, little aside. Sure. Uh, I mean, that, that's sort of a underexplored influence is early eighties rush. Yeah. You know, so worth, uh, maybe worth mentioning, maybe not, but I'll just mention it anyway, but all of these albums we've talked about, the edge of sanity albums and moon tower all came out on black mark record, black mark. which was of course, uh, kind of, if, if it weren't for edge of sanity and Bathory, may have been kind of a dodgy label, but, uh, you have to love <laughs> what, what they gave to the metal world. Memento Mori, man. I mean, no, I, and I have no problem. With <laughs> no, I have no problem with uh, a few other bands. Cemetery had a couple good records on that label, I think. Oh man! Um, but big, but big yeah, but you know they they signed some junk. But I guess what label doesn't? Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and speaking of labels, uh, Dan's studio Unisound had absolutely right. nothing to do with the Greek label. But I just yeah. wanted to kind of dovetail into mentioning Unisound, the Greek label, just for fun because sure. Danny ended up on that label. Right. And, and, Dan, and Dan had a lot to do with the Uncanny album. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. When did you get into the, uh, that, uh, that album? Later. Um, 2010? Okay. I came, I came to well, it. I mean, way later. Three years ago. <laughs> yeah, way, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me too, man. I mean, it was way later. I think and it's through, it, through Nathan. There you go. Nathan, Nathan Sapp, the guitarist of your band, Canvas Alaris, for those right. who don't know. And, you know, Unisound was kind of ever-present, as we, as we were talking about earlier. Like, Dan not only did this stuff with his bands, but he engineered and or produced uh, a ton of bands that rolled through Unisound, which was sort of the, I guess, the alternative to Sunlight Studios. Right. Uh, and Skogsberg's um, sort of con contribution. I, I think, really remarkably, the first two Opeth albums were recorded in Unisound, and sure. Dan, Dan had a lot to do with... Um, those two albums as an engineer and you know it's interesting if you look at morning rise the original version i, I don't know about the later versions but opeth thanks swano for as uh, and i think they call him our guide <laughs> right which i think you know it you know that's that's not small credit for a band that went on to like enormous things you know the way opeth did sure so, uh, so Swana was very much integral in Opeth's early sound. What, do you, what, what kind of parallels do you draw between early Opeth and sort of what, Dan, what Swano had done, you know, in his other bands up to that point? Um, I think it's probably the, the prog rock thread. Um, hmm. I mean, you know, Morning Rise and, and Crimson came out at the same time. And I can only imagine that, uh, that Ockerfeld was privy to, you know, the development of Crimson. You know, I mean, I think it was kind of a symbiotic influence. I think that, you know, Swano was probably inspired by Opeth, too. Yeah. You know, by this this young band that 
seemed to come out of nowhere, um, almost fully developed. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like I said before, like the, the clean vocals are, are, it's hard to, hard to ignore how similar they are. Yeah. I, I think about Catatonia and their influence and their, uh, connection to Swano is about as much as I do with Opeth. This is true. Yeah. And we can get into that because I think, I think there's a lot of parallels there that are interesting. What's, what do you, what do you think his biggest stamp on Catatonia was? If you look at the the work he did with them. I think that there was, and, and I'm, you'll have to forgive me for sort of reading biography into this, but I think there was a real tension between Swano and and Blackheim, at least on Brave Murder Day, and Swano's um, issues with that approach, mm-hmm. and I really think it kind of like drove it even uh, deeper. Um, and I think that makes that record even more intense. Yeah, yeah. Um, because Swano's on record for not liking that material at all. Right. Um, and I, I really think that it was kind of this this act of rebellion on uh, you know for Johan and for Blackheim just to like go even farther in that direction. Well, creative tension usually, you know, results in something pretty massive. Uh, sure. if, it, if, it, if there's some, some, you know, kind of seed of genius there somewhere in it. Uh, and Brave Murder Day. Yeah. I mean, what, what have you read? Like, I haven't read that. I don't, I didn't know that. Like what, he, um, so you not when, like the, the minimalism or the repetition of yeah, the, he, 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 called, he called it punk music. Huh? He said, like, because, you know, he obviously loved Dance of the December Souls, and they come in with Brave Murder Day, and he's like, you know, what is this garbage? You know, you're right. playing punk rock, you know. And it was. It was the, you know, it was the minimalism of it, I said. Well, yeah, we're gone were, like, the maze-like arrangements. The, the, I mean, the songs were still long, but they just really revolved on this kind of, like, one or two hypnotic moments. Right. Because that was right. the thing. That was their and modus operandi at that point. Exactly. And if you think about if we're talking about Swano and we're talking about Opeth and we're talking about their relationship um, and, and the similarities in their music, you know, that hinges on exactly maze like arrangements and ornamentation and um, you know, gestures to, you know, the, the grandiosity of the prog rock past and Bray murder day is sort of the antithesis of that. Again, yeah, like you say, they're they're long songs, but they pivot on one or two ideas. Mm-hmm. Well, and then let's get into this thing with with Swano's kind of personal influences. I mean, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast, and certainly you and I, and and some of our best friends, uh, certainly our, our music friends, listen to a wide variety of music. Um, but I, you know, if we list Swano's influences, and I and I wrote down maybe like ten or twelve, and I'm going to list them off here it just kind of shows you why he was involved in all the different things he was and why he was so successful because he really listened with, with really open ears and he listened to some really quality stuff. So obviously Marillion kind of stated as his very favorite band of all time. He's a total nut for them. Gentle giant uh, is a band that he has given credit to. And as you know, they just make you want to stop playing music forever when you're watching them. Especially when in your early years, you sort of look like one of them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and, um, and and can't play 20 instruments well right hunter's in a band called canvas solaris and he's also been a friend of mine for a long time but i happen to be a fan of that band um uh, and, and we're not going to go image heavy with this podcast or anything that's out there about the podcast about radical research but i want to tell you that uh hunter bears a an uncanny resemblance to Derek shulman of <laughs> uh of um gentle giant my my talent, however, does not bear an. Unhandled. I'm sorry, yeah. I said Derek Ray Shulman. Ray Ray Shulman. Ray, because yeah. there's there's there were three brothers uh, in Gentle Giant at one point, um, and you bear Derek. Was, yeah, famously signed Dream Theater among many other things. Derek did yes. Okay, so Gentle Giant, big big influence on on Swano. Um, <laughs> uh, Moxie is a band he's referenced several times. I don't know if you even know who this band is. I, I don't. They're yeah. Canadian and and they're kind of like ZZ Top meets April Wine. I mean. They're, they're, <laughs> You know, you kind of want to like them for the ZZ Top part, but the April Wine part, you're like, yeah, oh. I, no, I, I can't say that there's anything in my collection that even resembles April Wine. Yeah, so you know, but you may like Moxie. Who knows? Yeah. Um, Judas Priest, uh, especially the '70s era. Uh, Rainbow. He's been. Uh, he's talked about Candlemas in in wonderful, beautiful light, the way they should be. Uh, Uriah Heep, Voivod, uh, Depeche Mode, yeah. Bolt Thrower, uh, Dream Theater. 
man of war and the police. So there you go. I mean, that's quite a stew sure. of influences and I'm sure the, the list is quite long for Dan. What does this tell us about this guy and his, his output? It tells us why he's in 30 different bands. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a beautiful segue. What's go ahead. No, no, I was going to, well, and you may be segueing into this as we speak, but um, Panthamonium oddly wraps up a few of those things. How did you know I wanted to talk about Panthamonium? Um, because you and I talk about Panthamonium a lot. I think, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to like take credit for talking about Panthamonium <laughs> as if the Guinness Book of World Records has a, has a record for that. But if they did, it'd probably be our conversations. I think probably. we summoned Regunshana, the, the fictional <laughs> godlike figure that surrounding Panthamonium. I think we've talked about that whole thing. I think we've summoned him many, 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 many times over the years. Um, but this man is great. Panthamonium is hands down one of the greatest and most fascinating and interesting and fun bands uh, in, in metal. And I say fun. And, and even though they use saxophones and hand claps and just really odd, odd, odd ideas, like ticking clocks, they're dark and they take you Very. to a place that I've never visited. And I think that's why I keep going back to them is they really are world builders. You know, they build realms and that, that whole idea of like, you know, music sort of creating a whole sort of alternate universe um, to sink into. You know, I think Panthamoniums is one of the clearest and, and most fascinating ones. And I think they do it so well. And uh, that's, that's the value in that band, you know, for me. Yeah, same here. Uh, Absolutely. So I, mean, I, I remember the first time I ever heard them. I mean, it, it was. It was, <laughs> a new, it was a new journey for me. What was the experience? How did you get turned on? Um, I, actually, um, I guess through a relapse ad. Um, I didn't even know that uh, the Swana was involved in Panthamonium. It was, well, it, was the the back, it was the back of a metal maniacs and it was, um, you know, chaos and confusion. Oh, and, okay. So that one. Okay. Yeah. And okay. Um, I actually found that if anybody remembers the store media play. Yes. Um, I found that CD at a media play and bought it and couldn't believe my ears. It's funny because that thing being landing on relapse, which I have a personal connection to, and I can either tell that story or not, but um, being on relapse, it, it, it gave Panthimonium more distribution, uh, like, like it, as in a store like media play uh, than they ever had when they were on Osmos, because sure. of course the first two full lengths came out on Osmos. Um, and while Osmos was well distributed back in the day in, in the U S uh, and elsewhere, relapse was a whole other ball game at that point in like 1996. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that people like you stumbled upon chaos and confusion, uh, in, in media play. I mean, that's just of all places. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's, it's, it's safe to say that we live in a different world these days. <laughs> right. 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 Well, you know, media play or, or, you know, was not a record store where it was like a sanctum sanctorium of, of, you know, mystical fucking, you know, <laughs> discoveries it was just media play i mean right and then you happen upon this cd by this really mysterious band and you mentioned how you didn't know that dan was a part of that you know swano and his and his brother actually um yeah dag dag dog uh dog, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah went his went his og aag in right. <laughs> um he and his brother were part of that as was benny larson um winter winter uh and of course the the vocalist who i don't even like to talk about because i want him to remain mysterious i know who he is he's not anybody that i don't know who he is you know, he's not I, anybody I that went on to great fame but like i like keeping him mysterious because he was he also had no real vocabulary it was it was a bit like you know the john tardy phonetic thing oh right right early days of obituary um but anyway they kept themselves very mysterious like they they had no pictures and if they did they were highly obscured um, you know, that the names were of course aliases, uh, you know, and this is why, and it was kind of a secret at the time, of course, pre-internet that, that people just didn't know who this band was, what they were all about, some, where they were from. I mean, and I think that helped add to the mystique and, and the music alone was magical and strange enough that, that, uh, you know, it all worked. And I'm going to play a little bit of Panthamonium from Chaos and Confusion. Now this is something from the Battle of Gihib. Thank you. 
So that's Panthemonium's final swan song, really. That's right. the swan song, uh, is Chaos and Confusion. Um, but they, fo- they, were, they formed as a mixture, basically a bolt thrower and hellhammer on acid. And that's almost a direct quote from Swano himself, which is a really excellent, I, excellent reason to form a band. And I, it absolutely is. And I, I hear tons of bolt thrower in the demo. Yeah, um, the Dawn demo. And, and also tons of acid. There you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, I think they kind of set out and nailed what they were trying to do right away. And that's why the Dawn demo is potent. It's, uh, I mean, dude, it, it, it sounds like they could have signed right away. And, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah no, it, it, and it's interesting, like, because it's sort of, in terms of timeline, not too far removed from Edge of Sanity. Um, and Edge of Sanity matured at one pace, and Panthimonium just showed up you know, in this like fully formed state. Oh, absolutely. I mean, by, you know, Dawn Demo was 1990, Dream 2 yep. EP, uh, which, I, you know, counts as a signing essentially because Obscure sure. Cosma, later Avant-Garde, picked them up for the EP. That was 92. So yeah, they were really evolving in parallel to Edge of Sanity. Um, and I find it really wonderful that he was kind of like the, a key part of both of these really great bands. You know, what a wonderful teenage evolution he had. Um, so dream two was just kind of dawn, but even weirder, darker, deeper. I guess that's one way to look at it. It's fair to say. Yeah. We haven't gotten into the weird instrumentation quite yet, but they're, they're kind of getting there. Um, and I think dawn of dreams, the day dreams is where everything sort of coalesces. Oh man. Oh man. I mean, we open up with this really long, what, 25, 28 minute song. Yeah. It's yeah. The seventh. Yeah, 26. The seven songs are just numbered or anonymous, not really titled. But we get that really big, long uh, beginning. And it's, it's not too long into that first song where we get Og or Dog or Swano's brother um, playing these like almost Ace Frehley sort of leads, these really kind of like soulful, kind of old rock, old right. metal kind of vibes there in and amidst this. So bizarre kind of pounding yeah so it's like this halftime um realm of chaos guitar these ace freely you know, almost classic rock guitar solos um the sax the saxophone these, <laughs> the, these really dreamlike keyboards yes and then all the other sound effects and like the the ticking clock is sort of like the tropic sinew in pandemonium. Beautiful. That's absolutely true. And, 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 and like one of the great themes in, in nineties prog rock, you know, is the, um, the sort of floating hourglass or something, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, or some yeah. clock, you know, but, time, yeah, some kind of time piece. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. That was really a motif that was just became overused. The good thing about, I think getting into Panthimonium prior to all of that, because I my 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 discovery was like '93, and it wasn't the Chaos album, Chaos Chaos. Yeah, it was Dawn of Dreams. That in, you know a year later, I, I somebody had sent me a cassette of it, and I just went ballistic for it. Actually, Gordon Conrad, who was a oh, well, long okay. time, and um, is I think it's Season of Mist now. But and I remember the saxophone. I remember the lead guitar. I remember the the most insane avant-garde spin on death metal i'd ever heard um but i but i think with the ticking clocks it was i, I always think of salvador dali's um melting oh, yeah. melting yep. clocks sure and, and because i was into dali's stuff you know and kind of really aware of that and that period he went through where he did all these melting sort of uh you know um really strangely uh rubbery clocks you know, that it, it really worked for me to, because the, 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 the ticking, the time ticking, the clock ticking thing in Panthemonium was, was a thread. Yeah, sure, it, sure. It carried it on into chaos, uh, the, 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 ne- the second full length. Mm-hmm. You know, I just found that to be like this weird continuity. I mean, who knows what it meant to them, but to me it was like it took me into, you know, surrealism. Yeah, and, and hypnotism and, you know, in dream states. Yeah. But I mean, it's, the, the dream thing is pretty explicit. I mean, it shows up in the titles. Yeah. But um, I, I do. I feel like Panthimonium is this attempt at creating this hallucinatory world or this hypnagogic world uh, yes. where uh, things are not quite as they seem. And I, I think they really 
took it as far as they could on chaos chaos. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, which is why I keep pronouncing it different ways, but <laughs> this is the one that came out after Dawn of Dreams. Right. Um, possibly one of the, the weirdest album to ever end up on Osmos productions. Um, and what, what for you did they introduce to this one that really wasn't, wasn't quite on Dawn of Dreams? For me, I, I hear that, um, almost kind of hip hop sort of, um, <laughs> edge to, to that one song um there's a, I'll, I'll play it right now i, I can't articulate yeah that that'd probably be the best I'm gonna, i'll play it right now here we go So that was a piece from Chaos, uh, really kind of showing Panthemonium going about as far out as, as they ever would. Yeah. Um, Swano himself doesn't really care for this album, he, he, uh, in hindsight. I, I read something on one of the recent reissues of the Panthemonium stuff that this was something he felt they just kind of just didn't, they didn't nail uh, exactly the way they did Dawn of Dreams. Did you, do you have any comment on that? I, it, I mean, it, it does seem even, it seems more experimental um, and probably does coalesce a little less so than Dawn of Dreams. But I love the wildness of it. Oh, it's so awesome. I mean, it's just, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like this immersion in all these different ideas. And, and I mean, yeah, it is a little ungainly, but like it's pantheimonium. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to work in any sort of, conventional way um so no i i, I absolutely love chaos absolutely love it i i do too i i was a little shocked when i read that um Swano sort of not being all that into it but you know how it is you know being an artist it's like yeah it's a yeah, yeah it's too, a, you can't see the forest for the trees sort of sure, yeah it's a different perspective so so there's a little hiatus they you know they really did kind of just i'm not going to say back themselves into a corner because that's got a negative connotation but they really went as far as you could imagine them going um so it was kind of probably appropriate that they had a little hiatus and i happened to be at relapse records in like 95 96 and i was in touch with swano because i had done an interview with him for my fanzine we had traded some tapes uh incidentally he had not heard voivod's outer limits yet so that was something i sent him really he sent me, and this is in, we're talking 94 now, going back there. Uh, he sent me a tape uh, of this band that was in his studio. It was a song called Forest of October. Um, <laughs> little, little band you might have heard of. And that was my introduction to Opeth. And I just, I had wow. no idea who they were. And that blew me away. I mean, I got it from Dan himself, which was kind of a novelty, <laughs> you know, uh, already. But yeah, so, so anyway, there was, there was, we had a little bit of that history. So I was at Relapse, and he sent me this tape, and he said, Oh, you know, Panthemonium has been doing stuff again. Here's this is our this is meant to be our final thing, and we want to put it out as three different EPs. And my immediate thought was like, well, even if this is because before I'd even heard, it, I was like, my immediate thought was this Matt and Bill, the owners and my bosses at Relapse, will never go for that three EPs. It just doesn't you know. <laughs> probably not. But okay, so I gave it a listen, and it was like a twelve minute song, a fifteen minute song, and then a six minute sort of really quieter kind of like melancholy sort of what I consider more of an outro even right uh, ended up being called burial and that's what it was and that's what chaos confusion was and I played it for Matt and Bill who were at the time were big pantheimonium fans and they were like well it's not long enough as an album and we're not going to do the three EP thing and it just kind of died for a couple months and I was really bummed out because I was playing that cassette all the time and I was telling Dan how much I loved it we were writing back and forth you know snail mail the way you did back then <laughs> and, and then I then I took the tape like Bill Yurkevich, uh relapse guy and exit 13 vocalist and just all around awesome cat. We were he, he and I drove to see UFO uh, when Michael Shanker had come back into the band. And I, I kind of thought this is my last chance to get with Bill and we might have been, you know, altered in some form 
or fashion on the drive. And I thought this will be a great chance to maybe just try this one more time with this Panthemonium thing. Cause I loved the songs, um, you know, uh, the Ferenth and uh, the battle of Gahib. And, uh, and I, I just couldn't believe that we couldn't, that we could put this out if we wanted to, and they didn't want to do it. So I, I popped it in at, you know, in an opportune moment during the drive and he just went completely ballistic. And, he, and I think, you know, two minutes into the first song, he's like, we got to put this out. Oh my God. <laughs> and, and that's really how chaos and confusion came out. So, you know, I was glad to be a part, a small part of Panthemonium history. And, um, you know, that I could take that to the grave at least. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's the story there. And that one to me, you know, I don't think it's just personal bias. I really, I really think that material on that, if we want to call it an EP, is some of their strongest ever. Those, those arrangements and the playing. Oh, no, no, it's definitely, yeah, no, it. You can tell that, like the songwriting that Swano had been developing, you know, parallel to that, and Sanity bled over into the Panthemonium. Totally. I mean, yeah. you, you get all those experimental impulses, you get all the sounds, you get all the things that you love with Panthemonium, but the songwriting is much tighter. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, it's it's those are even more maze-like. Those main two songs are more maze-like than anything they'd done before, and sure. maybe because of the length of them, but. Uh, even even the first song on Dawn of Dreams didn't have that quality. It kind of took its own time to unfold. No, no, it, it developed more in sort of a disembowelment way, you know, exactly. like a, a patient sort of unfurling way. Right. So, so you know, what a, what a great little history they have. I mean, just you know, that that's a band that I just continue to just hold so dear. And, yes, same here. And even even the imagery, like the imagery was surreal, and 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 you know, I love the I love the the children's drawings on on Chaos, where you have these like weird little figures, kind of. Um, you know, it reminds me of like you know these kids were sat down with Panthemonium music and told to draw what they're hearing. <laughs> and this is what you get in that packaging. And I just you know all every little bit of what they did was was part of this universe this yeah no, exactly yeah this yeah anything else you want to say about panthemonium because you know i'll listen i will be here all night <laughs> right let's let's yeah not. i mean like i I'd, I'd say this you know i discovered them you know 21 years ago and i mean they they're probably more fascinating to me now than they were then yeah and of and course it's, it's it's worth noting that despite well, I'm sorry, with all the other stuff we've said about them, the mysteriousness and the artwork and the music itself, uh, you know, the, the mythology behind it was great with that Ragoon Shana character that, that right. was, was always mentioned and uh, the song titles being kind of like maybe nonsense Swedish or, or, or um, just really kind of made up language, almost magma-like in that sense. Right. Just so so much to talk about. So uh, I th I think because there is so much to talk about, we don't want to bore our listeners. We should uh, uh, maybe move on to what was basically the successor of Panthemonium, uh, Karabujan. Yes. Your thoughts on them, and what Karabujan was, and and how it relates to Panthemonium and Swano's story. I guess in a nutshell, to me, Karabujan is sort of all the kind of experimental impulses in Panthemonium with the grind and death elements extracted from it. Um, it's heavy, make no mistake. And two, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about the timeline because it was recorded not long after Panthemonium disbanded and then released. What about four years later? Yeah, it was released uh, in 2001. One, yeah. In 96, 97. So right. it's right at the tail edge of you know, the last Panthemonium material. Right. Yeah, again, full of those those expressive '70s kind of solos, without the the blasting, um, it, and it's it's essentially instrumental. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's all the, the the mythology behind it is weird too, because again, with like as with Panthemonium, nothing is as it seems. And if you look at the the CD layout, there are nine people credited with. Uh, the album. I mean, characters like Agent Spawns and Doctor Krollspell and Seraphim Svensson. Um, <laughs> these were all these were all Swano, right? Uh, and when I say Swano, I actually mean Dog as well. Dog, his brother, because um, he's the one that actually does play guitar on it. That's kind of little known. Oh, and it's his style is immediately identical. You 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 totally hear it if you if you know yeah. Panthemonium and the guitar style there. It's absolutely uh, apparent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this nutty little thing, and I, I found an interview with Dan on um, metalupdate.com, but Dan, Dan is saying this, and I don't, this was 
an interview from the early 2000s, but he said, um, Caribunion was a project I had with myself a long time ago. I was pissed off at the fact that the other guys restarted Panthimonium without me. I wanted to give the world my version of PTM. It turned out to be far too wacky to be compared to PTM, so I sampled some cartoon stuff and I called it Caribunion. It's hard to describe it. It's instrumental fusion, doom, prog with distorted bass guitars instead of rhythm guitars. Wacky Moog sounds, saxophones, strangely guitar work, courtesy of my brother Dog, and strange samples. So on the surface, that sounds a lot like Panthemonium, what he's sure. describing. And the, the, the other thing I think we failed to mention in our Panthemonium discussion was that Swano actually played the bass. That was his main instrument in right. Panthemonium. And that distorted bass is just on a whole otherworldly level in terms of, you know, in terms of his sonic effect. Devastating oh. is right. Yeah. And, and that, you know, and that's the lead instrument in Caribbean. At least it's, it's the one I go to. And it's almost like... Um, oh, no, it, it anchors everything. As a fair, I remember all we wonder if you've done till season, it gone today. Who's the uh, bass player Rollins had for a while? Andrew Weiss? Yeah. Do you, do you remember hearing the wartime project he and Rollins did together? No. Nah. The bass sound is exactly like that. It's just huge and, and farty in the best way. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and overblown and otherworldly. And it's just amazing. It's just overdriven bass. And that's, that's kind of what he brought to, what Swano brought to uh, Panthemonium and Caribouden. Now, keep in mind, Swano also wrote just about all this stuff sure all of it and i I think we would be remiss not to mention the steel drums (laughs) yes (laughs) and how totally well they work in that context right i'm not a fan of that instrument by the way oh you're not steel drums yeah i mean can you name another example of like steel drums where you have enjoyed it (laughs) i mean no yeah well i neither can i (laughs) You know, as, as a really accomplished drummer, that's interesting coming from you. Yeah, no, it's just, uh, you know, I, I guess a, a timbre and a, a sound that uh, that just does not appeal to me. I guess I have the same thing with the harmonica. It, I, 99% of the time, the harmonica bothers the shit out of me. Dave Mustaine, if you're listening. <laughs> yes. <I don't> know. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, Caribbean, a great little coda and very worthwhile, worth seeking out for sure. Because I think next to Panthemonium, it's my favorite Swano thing uh, that he was involved. Oh no, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. I mean, because you know, it, it goes it goes beyond what Panthemonium did. It it goes into magma, it goes into King Crimson, it goes into Bungle, it goes into Naked. Oh, it's very yeah, no, it's it it does seem more rooted in prog rock than it does in you know in in anything else. And I mean, like for all the for all the tributaries and for all the detours, Panthemonium was an extreme metal band. Yeah, you know they're they're a death metal band. They like they had grind. You know, I mean there there were yeah. a lot of things in there. Caribbean is not that. It oh yeah, takes, you know the surrealistic qualities of Panthemonium and distills it into something else for sure. Because I, yeah. I think I think it's worth mentioning. And I'm glad you did that. Panthemonium would definitely grind at times. Sure, absolutely. Uh, which really made it you know made sense that it, they would end up on relapse, the kind of purveyors of grind. But yeah, so that's. Um, that's that's Swano's genius right there. Um, I think we we can touch on a couple things real quick if if you want to move forward. The Diabolical Masquerade uh, Death Design album, the fourth yes. and final by that project. Uh, yes. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, basically, an imaginary soundtrack. I I I'm not looking at anything. I'm thinking off the top of my head, like forty something small songs. Am I right? Actually, sixty one. Six, okay, never mind. 61 songs. 61 tracks. Yeah. 60. <laughs> Completely un. Uh, and, and two, again, um, tied in, um, Blackheim um, from Catatonia is the uh, linchpin in Diabolical Masquerade. 
and right. pretty much exclusively responsible for all their other albums. Um, Although Swano did did uh, come in on the second and third albums as like I think engineer. Or maybe, I know he did a guest vocal on the second album. Sure, sure. You know he was there, but um, compositionally, it was it was almost all Blackheim. But by Death um, Design, it seemed that they had become a duo. I I feel like they were, uh, um, and I think that. Well, and I think too, like all you really need to do is listen to the earlier Diabolical Masquerade records and then listen to Death Design. And it kind of bears out that there's some kind of partnership there. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. Yes. yeah, I mean, it's, it's radically different from any other uh, DM record. I mean, it's, it, it's surrealistic. It's horrifying, but it, it, it also has, you know, majestic parts. It has power metal parts um, it has all these things that both of those guys love dearly. And I, but venturing further into like eclecticism and, and sure, sure. And like in, in a way that they didn't do before, you know, that some, some really hyper bombastic theatrics, I would say. Oh, very, very. Yeah. And, and Chris Maycock made a very astute comparison to devil doll. Yeah. It, I, I, it doesn't sound like devil doll, but spiritually it, it kind of does. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, good call. I, I remember reading that now that you mentioned that. Um, so that's a really worthwhile album. That's really by far my favorite Diabolical Masquerade album. Um, and I, I'm not sure if I can say it's because of Swano's in, um, involvement, but just knowing what I like about his approach uh, and his and his tactics at the time, I probably probably is the case that no, it, it probably is it succeeds for me you know, because of that. Um, yeah. And then you know I want to touch on this completely obscure thing that he had done very <laughs> briefly called Route Nine. Are you familiar with Route Nine? I am. Yeah. Um, he so, did uh, a few a few, so- a few songs in what ninety three, and that's all they ever really did. They did, that's yeah, it. they did release a seven inch in ninety three, um, and then they, I think there was a demo prior to that. But it, it, it was basically a duo with a guy named Anders Jakobsen. Jacobson. It's in the Edge of Sanity, Crimson sort of area. Maybe maybe a few more influences from other places coming into that. It's uh, pretty eclectic. It's eclectic. Really? It's, it's kind of like experimental and progressive melodic death metal, you know, in a yep. way that like, you know, the more strict sort of adherence to melodic Swedish melodic death metal just never, never were interested in. And it's got the Swano touch. And I think it's really worthwhile um, and kind of a neat little left field companion piece to some of the better edge of sanity stuff. Um, and I think if you've ever listened to his newer, one of Swano's newer projects, the Witherscape thing, I, that doesn't do a lot for me, but I, but I do think, think of route nine as sort of the uh the predecessor to to witherscape that's so a have, fair comparison actually yeah if anybody else yeah i, I the, the witherscape left me pretty cold but yeah i haven't really thought about that but that's yeah it's a good comparison yeah it's just a, it's a, another really cool little sidebar to the swano story so so there you go that really concludes uh you know the, the delving into Swano. I, as always, in every program we're, we're going to ever do, you know, I really encourage people to get out there and uh, get onto Discogs.com, preferably, and, and buy music and uh, explore some of the things. If anything we've said is uh, interesting and titillating to you, and if not, I'm sorry you wasted the last hour and 15 minutes of your life. Ha! <laughs> uh, anything? Anything else you'd like to say as a wrap up uh, regarding Swano? And before we delve into other areas next time. Thanks for listening. And buy the music. YouTube does you no justice. <laughs> um, especially with someone like Swano. It is, um, it's a holistic effect. And um, you'll be rewarded if you, you go out and buy those. Agreed, agreed. That's it for this episode. Look for the third installment of Radical Research in a couple weeks when Hunter and I delve deeply into several strange progressive rock bands that are household names in our households, but maybe not anybody else's. Those bands would be Nidralog from England, Dutch band Super Sister, who featured a wonderful fuzz bass in their repertoire, and France's Art Kane. For Hunter again and myself, please always buy your music and listen deeply. Cheers. <laughs>